Chapter Twenty Two of the Andes and the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Andes and the Amazon by James Orton. Chapter Twenty Two. We come now to the genus Homo. Man makes a very insignificant figure in the vast solitudes of the Amazon. Between Manaus and Pará, the most densely peopled part of the valley, there is only one man to every four square miles, and the native race takes a low place in the scale of humanity. As the western continent is geologically more primitive than the eastern, and as the brute creation is also inferior in rank, so the American man, in point of progress, seems to stand in the rear of the old world races. Both the geology and duology of the continent were arrested in their development. Vegetable life alone has been favored. The aboriginal American, wrote von Martius, is at once in the incapacity of infancy and unpliancy of old age. He unites the opposite poles of intellectual life. We will not touch the debatable ground of the red man's origin, nor inquire whether he is the last remains of a people once high in civilization. But we are tempted to express the full belief that tropical America is not his center of creation. He is not the true child of the tropics, and he lives as a stranger, far less fitted for its climate than the Negro or Caucasian. Yet a little while, and the race will be as extinct as the dodo. He has not the supple organization of the European, enabling him to accommodate himself to diverse conditions. Among the Andean tribes, there are seldom over five children, generally but one in a family. And Bates, speaking of Brazilian Indians, says, Their fecundity is of a low degree, and it is very rare to find a family having so many as four children. While it is probable that Mexico was peopled from the north, it is very certain that the Tupi and Guarani, the long-headed hordes that occupied eastern South America, came up from the south, moving from the Paraguay to the banks of the Orinoco. From the Tupi nation, perhaps a branch of the Guarani, sprung the multitudinous tribes now dwelling in the vast valley of the Amazon. In such a country, unbroken by a mountain, uniform in climate, we need not look for great diversity. The general characters are these, skin of a brown color, with yellowish tinge, often nearly the tint of mahogany, thick, straight black hair, black horizontal eyes, low forehead, somewhat compensated by its breadth, beardless, of the middle height but thick-set, broad, muscular chest, small hands and feet, incurious, unambitious, impassive, undemonstrative, with a dull imagination and little superstition, with no definite idea of a supreme being, few tribes having a name for God, though one for the demon, with no belief in a future state, and accepting civility with virtues all negative. The semi-civilized along the lower Amazon, called Tupuyus, seem to have lost, in the language of Wallace, the good qualities of savage life, and gained only the vices of civilization. 
there are several hundred different tribes in amazonia each having a different language even the scattered members of the same tribe cannot understand each other this segregation of dialects is due in great part to the inflexibility of indian character and has isolated a narrow round of thought and life when and where the babel existed whence the many branches of the great tupi family separated we know not we only know that though different in words these languages have the same grammatical construction in more than one respect the polyglot american is antipodal to the chinese the language of the former is richest in words that of the latter the poorest the preposition follows the noun and the verb ends the sentence ancient tupi is the basis of the lingua geral the intertribal tongue on the middle amazon the semi-civilized chikunas mundurukus etc have one costume the men in trousers and white cotton shirts the women in calico petticoats with short loose chemises and their hair held in a knot on the top of the head by a comb usually of foreign make but sometimes made of bamboo splinters the wild tribes north and south go nearly or quite nude while those on the western tributaries wear cotton or bark togas or ponchos the habitations are generally a framework of poles thatched with palm leaves the walls sometimes latticed and plastered with mud and the furniture chiefly hammocks and earthen vessels the mundurukus are the most numerous and warlike tribe in amazonia they inhabit both banks of the tapajois and can muster it is said two thousand fighting men they are friendly to the whites and industrious selling to traders large quantities of farina sarsaparilla rubber and tonka beans their houses are conical or quadrangular huts sometimes open sheds and generally contain many families according to wallace the mundurukus are the only perfectly tattooed nation in south america it takes at least ten years to complete the tattooing of the whole person the skin is pricked with spines and then the soot from burning pitch rubbed in their neighbors the pararawaches are intractable wandering savages roaming through the forest and sleeping in hammocks slung to the trees they have delicately formed hands and feet an oval face and glistening black eyes on the west side of the tapajois near villa nova are the Mauhes, an agricultural tribe well formed and of a mild disposition on the lower madeira are the houseless formidable araras who paint their chins red with achote an adult, and usually have a black tattooed streak on each side of the face they have long made the navigation of the great tributary hazardous above them dwell the parentinchins light-colored and finely featured but nude and savage in the labyrinth of lakes and channels at the mouth of the madeira live the lazy brutal muras the most degraded tribe on the amazon they have a darker skin than their neighbors an extraordinary breadth of chest muscular arms short legs protuberant abdomens a thin beard and a bold restless expression they pierce the lips and wear peccary tusks in them in time of war the indians on the purush 
live generally on the communal principle, and are unwarlike and indolent. The Purupurus bury in sandy beaches, go naked, and have one wife. On the great northwest tributary of the Rio Negro, the Wakayari, there are numerous tribes, collectively known as the Waupesh. They have permanent abodes, in shape of a parallelogram, with a semicircle at one end, and of a size to contain several families, sometimes a whole tribe. One of them, Wallace informs us, was 115 feet long by 75 broad and about 30 high. The walls are bulletproof. Partitions of palm leaves divide it into apartments for families, the chief occupying the semicircular end. The men alone wear clothes and ornaments, but both sexes paint their bodies with red, black, and yellow colors in regular patterns. The men have a little beard, which they pull out, as also the eyebrows, and allow the hair to grow unshorn, tying it behind with a cord and wearing a comb, while the women cut theirs and wear no comb. They are an agricultural people, peaceable, ingenious, apathetic, diffident, and bashful. The Catauixés inhabit the banks of the Tefé. They perforate the lips and wear rows of sticks in the holes. At the mouth of the Juruá are the uncivilized but tall, noble-looking Marawash. They pierce the ears and lips and insert sticks. They live in separate families and have no common chief. Above them live the treacherous Arawash. On the opposite side of the Amazon are the nearly extinct Passeis and Judish, the finest tribes in Central America. They are peaceable and industrious and have always been friendly to the whites. The Passeis are a slenderly built, light-colored, dignified, superior race, distinguished by a large square tattooed patch in the middle of the face. The Judish tattoo in a circle round the mouth. Nearby are the Wainambeus, or hummingbirds, distinguished by a small blue mark on the upper lip. Higher up the Japura is the large cannibal tribe of Miranhas, living in isolated families. And on the Tocantins dwell the low Caixanas, who kill their firstborn children. Along the left bank of the Amazon, from Loreto to Japura, are the scattered houses and villages of the Tucunas. This is an extensive tribe, leading a settled agricultural life, each horde having a chief and a medicine man, or priest of their superstitions. They are good-natured and ingenious, excelling most of the other tribes in the manufacture of pottery, but they are idle and debauched, naked except in the villages, and tattooed in numbers of short, straight lines on the face. The Marubus on the Javari have a dark complexion and a slight beard, and on the west side of the same river roam the Mageronas, fierce, hostile, light-colored, bearded cannibals. In the vicinity of Pebas dwell the inoffensive Yaguas. The shape of the head, but not their vacant expression, is well represented by Catlin's portrait of Black Hawk, a sock chief. They are quite free from the encumbrance of dress, the men wearing a girdle of fibrous bark around the loins, with bunches looking like a mop hanging down in front and rear, and similar bunches hung around the neck and arms. The women tie a strip of brown cotton cloth about the hips. 
They paint the whole body with ashochin. They sometimes live in communities. One large structure with Gothic roof is used in common, on the inside of which, around the walls, are built family sleeping rooms. The yaguas are given to drinking and dancing. They are said to bury their dead inside the house of the deceased and then set fire to it, but this conflicts with their communal life. Perhaps, with the other tribes on the Japurá, Isa, and Napo, they are fragments of the great Omagua nation, but the languages have no resemblance. Of the Oriente Indians we have already spoken. The tall, finely built Kukamas near Nauta are shrewd, hard-working, canoe-men, notorious for the singular desire of acquiring property. And the Yamios, a white tribe, wander across the Maranon as far as Sarayaku. On the Ucayali are numerous vagabond tribes, living for the most part in their canoes and temporary huts. They are all lazy and faithless, using their wives, polygamy is common, as slaves. Infanticide is practiced, that is, deformed children they put out of the way, saying they belong to the devil. They worship nothing. They bury their dead in a canoe or earthen jar under the house, which is vacated forever, and throw away his property. The common costume is a long gown called kushma, of closely twilled cotton, woven by the women. Their weapons are two-edged battle-axes of hard wood, as palo de sangre, and bows and arrows. The arrows, five or six feet long, are made from the flower-stalk of the arrow-grass, cunerium, the head pointed with the flinty chonta and tipped with bone, often anointed with poison. At the base, two rows of feathers are spirally arranged, showing the Indian's knowledge of the rifle principle. When they have fixed abodes, several families live together under one roof, with no division separating the women, as among the Red Indians on the Pastasa. The roof is not over ten feet from the ground. The Piros are the highest tribe. They have but one wife. The Conibus are an agricultural people, yet cannibals, stretching from the upper Ucayali to the sources of the Perus. They are a fair-looking, athletic people, and, like the Shipibus, of tan wear a piece of money under the lip. The Campas are the most numerous and warlike. They are little known, as travelers give them a wide berth. Herndon fancied they were the descendants of the Inca race. They are said to be cannibals, and from the specimen we saw, we should judge them uncommonly sharp. He was averse to telling us anything about his tribe, but turned our questions with an equivocal repartee and a laugh. The Cachibus on the Pachitea is another cannibal tribe. They are light-colored and bearded. The dwarfish, filthy Himus, alone of the Ucayali Indians, tattoo, though not so perfectly as the Mundurucus, using black and blue colors. The other tribes simply paint. It was among these wild Indians on the Ucayali that the Franciscan friars labored so long and zealously, and with a success far greater and more lasting than that which attended any other missionary enterprise in the valley. The remaining inhabitants of the Amazon are mixed breeds, Negroes and whites. The amalgamations form the greater part of the population of the large towns. Fonshudi gives a catalogue 
of twenty-three hybrids in Peru, and there are undoubtedly as many or more in Brazil. The most common are mamelucos, offspring of white with Indian, mulattoes, from white and negro, cafuzos, or zambus, from Indian and negro, curibocos, from cafuzo and Indian, and shibarus, from cafuzo and negro. To define their characteristics correctly, says von Schudi, would be impossible, for their minds partake of the mixture of their blood. As a general rule, it may be said that they unite in themselves all the faults without any of the virtues of their progenitors. As men, they are generally inferior to the pure races, and as members of society, they are the worst class of citizens. Yet, they display considerable talent and enterprise, as in Quito, a proof that mental degeneracy does not necessarily result from the mixture of white with Indian blood. There is, however, confesses Bates, after ten years' experience, a considerable number of superlatively lazy, shrieky, and sensual characters among the half-castes, both in rural places and in the towns. Our observations do not support the opinion that the result of amalgamation is a vague compound, lacking character and expression. The moral part is perhaps deteriorated, but in tact and enterprise they often excel their progenitors. Negroes are to be seen only on the lower Amazon. By the new act of emancipation, such as our slaves, continue so, but their children are free. Negroes born in the country are called Creoles. Of the white population, save a handful of English, French, and German, the Portuguese immigrants are the most enterprising men on the river. They are willing to work, trade, or do anything to turn a penny. Those who acquire a fortune generally retire to Lisbon. The Brazilians proper are the descendants of the men who declare themselves free and independent of the mother country. Few of them are of pure Caucasian descent, for the immigration from Portugal for many years has been almost exclusively of the male sex. It is generally considered bad taste in Brazil to boast purity of descent. Bates 1, 241. Brazilians are stiff and formal, yet courteous and lively, communicative and hospitable, well-bred and intelligent. They are not ambitious, but content to live and enjoy what nature spontaneously offers. The most a Brazilian wants is farina and coffee, a hammock and a cigar. Brazilian ladies have led a dreary life of constraint and silence, without education or society, the husband making a nun of his wife after the old bigoted Portuguese notion. But during the last twenty years, the doors have opened. Brazil attained her independence in 1823, Brazilian women in 1848. Here, in this virgin valley, where every plant is in evergreen, possessing the most agreeable and enjoyable climate in the world, with a brilliant atmosphere, rivaled only by that of Quito, and with no changes of seasons, here we may locate the paradise of the lazy. Life may be maintained with as little labor as in the Garden of Eden. Perhaps no country in the world is capable of yielding so large a return for agriculture. Nature, evidently designing this land as the home of a great nation, 
has heaped up her bounties of every description fruits of richest flavors woods of finest grain dyes of gayest colors and drugs of rarest virtues and left no sirocco or earthquake to disturb its people providence moreover has given the present emperor a wise and understanding heart and the government is a happy blending of imperial dignity and republican freedom white negro half-caste and indian may be seen sitting side by side on the jury bench certainly the nation cannot be a despicable one whose best men are able to work themselves up to positions of trust and influence god bless the empire of the south End of chapter 22